The holiday season is, among other things, a time for helping those people in our community who are experiencing the greatest need. This year, the need is especially critical for hundreds of thousands of families in the Washington metro region who struggle at times to procure a basic necessity of life, food. That's partly because the federal government this year slashed some programs enacted during the COVID pandemic that helped people to buy groceries. Local governments are working to plug the gap. They're urging the federal government to restore some of the funding that's been cut. They've also launched a variety of grassroots initiatives, such as to support local farmers, provide more meals at school, and help residents to start community gardens. Still, the challenge is formidable. This is John Staley, a City of Fairfax Council member and chair of the Food and Agriculture Regional Member or Farm Policy Committee of the Metropolitan Washington Council of Governments or COG. Even in our region that has a, a strong economy, uh, food insecurity is real and it's happening to our neighbors. One of the areas we're focused on at the Farm Committee is what lessons did we learn during COVID and how can we apply them going forward? And, and it's also a, a, a place to go back to and, and remind us that despite sometimes in politics, all of the energy that doesn't seem positive around you, at the end of the day, there's a lot of agreement that, that food is important, that, that we should address this concern. It's a very bipartisan issue. This is Think Regionally, a monthly podcast sponsored by COG. I'm your host, Robert McCartney. The Capital Area Food Bank recently released a comprehensive report on hunger in our region, based on a survey of more than 5,000 residents. It found that a third of households at some point last year experienced food insecurity, which is defined as being uncertain of having adequate food. That's more than a million people. The affected families are largely employed, educated, and middle class. Three quarters have jobs and two-thirds earn more than the poverty wage. A combination of rising food prices and reduction in federal benefits has hit hard. I talked to LaMonica Jones, director of the advocacy group DC Hunger Solutions, which works to improve the nutrition, health, and well-being of low-income residents in the District of Columbia. You think that the, the trend is definitely going in the wrong direction now? It is as well as we're seeing um, the inflation pricing when we go to grocery stores, the cost of food is going up. So if our benefit level is not going up, but our price of food is going up, people aren't able to purchase as much, which is causing a problem. The most dramatic change has been the reduction in the federal benefit known as SNAP. That stands for the Supplemental Nutritional Assistance Program, which used to be known as food stamps. The last omnibus federal budget bill ended as of March 1st, an emergency increase in SNAP benefits that had been enacted during COVID. Jones described the effect on what recipients receive each month. Many of our residents, especially our older adults, they went from about $281. So they received, were receiving the maximum benefit amount. And after those allotments ended, they dropped all the way down to the local level minimum, which is $30. So, and so about how many people saw that drop? We had over 90,000 residents that saw that. There's also pressure on the WIC program for women, infants, and children, 
which provides food assistance for almost 14,000 in the district. We know that we averted a crisis with the shutdown, but unfortunately, the funding that we needed to support WIC was not included for the FY24 appropriations. So now, for those residents that were looking to increase participation in WIC, um, we don't have the funding at the federal level to support that. So we're potentially looking at a wait list for WIC residents um, in the district. In addition to advocating for greater federal funding, Jones's group is supporting a school food bill being considered by the DC Council. It would expand a program providing students with breakfast, lunch, and after-school snacks. Universal school meals will ensure that all of our students um, in DC schools, so whether they attend a DC public charter school or a DC public school, that they will receive uh, school meals, breakfast, lunch, as well as after-school snack at no additional cost. Fighting hunger is the responsibility not only of government, but of the private sector as well. I would also like to see expanded grocery store access across the district. And so noting that Ward 8 only has one grocery store for about 75,000 residents, making sure that we're taking intentional investments in the funding that's coming in from the district, that we are looking at our infrastructure and that we are placing grocery store grocery stores in Ward 7 and 8 so that residents are not having to drive travel 25 minutes outside of their home for high quality, affordable groceries, um, but that we have grocery stores inside the district. What's the role of uh, philanthropy in fighting hunger? I mean, I know a lot of people go to food banks and food pantries in order to get help. What's the situation with that? Yeah, our food banks are still a great source, and we work quite a bit with Capital Area Food Bank on various different avenues. There's such a great need when it comes to food. Um, and a lot of the, the conversation that I hear from our community partners is, there's such a great need, um, but we can only do so much. Even they are, are challenged and strapped with the capacity that they have, but they try to do everything that they can, but there's it's, it's almost like it just keeps coming. Um, because there's so many people that are experiencing hunger. People in urban centers aren't the only ones worrying about getting their next meal. Well-off suburbs are affected too. Here's Heather Bruskin, director of Montgomery County's newly created Office of Food Systems Resilience. In Montgomery County, while we're often historically known in the region and nationally as one of the wealthiest counties on average uh, in the county, we actually have tremendous levels of food insecurity. Many of the households struggling with hunger have incomes that fall roughly between $50,000 and $100,000 a year. That's too much to make them eligible for SNAP or other benefits, but too low to cover the comparatively high cost of living in Montgomery County for a family of four. So we have many, many families, tens of thousands, that are living in that gap that we call the self-sufficiency gap. That's about 150,000 people. As elsewhere in the region, the burden falls most heavily on communities of color. Pre-COVID metrics showed that 
our black and brown high school students were five to six times more likely to be food insecure, according to the Maryland Youth Risk Behavior Survey. Uh, there was a recent administration, a readministration of that survey uh, that showed that those disparities have only increased um, and black and Latino students in high schools in Montgomery County are now on average more reporting more than 10 times food insecure levels um, in, in their lives. And so I think that uh, means that we have uh, a lot of work to do in, in terms of addressing a lot of the root causes of food insecurity, which include uh, institutionalized racism and um, inequities in, in wealth distribution. Montgomery has launched several projects to increase availability of food and expand markets for the county's farmers. Under one, people can double the value of their SNAP benefit if they use it at a farmer's market. The program originated in Long Branch near Tacoma Park. The uh, Crossroads Farmers Market was the first market in the country to for every dollar that a resident spends using SNAP, they get a match um, so that their dollars stretch twice as far. It means that they can support the local economy while also um, getting fresh, nutritious foods. And so that actually has grown into um, a national program. Several other programs help local residents grow their own food. Our parks department runs 12 community gardens throughout our uh, throughout our county and so residents can apply for a plot and use that to grow you know whatever they would like to and often that's a, a terrific tool for um, residents particularly who have immigrated here or who have cultural preferences for products that are difficult to find in grocery stores to be able to grow them um, on their own. A separate grant project supports residents who want to grow food on land that private owners make available. Finally, the county wants to increase its reliance on locally grown food. That's partly in response to disruptions in delivering food during the pandemic. You know, when all of a sudden a couple of trucks couldn't get where they were supposed to get and there was no food on the shelves. You know, I think we are um, our industrial supply chain for food in our country has become so streamlined and so efficient that if anything breaks down anywhere along the way, there's no backup or secondary uh, option to support us if that if that first one breaks down. The county is thus pushing more of its farmers to produce food that goes directly to people's tables. Most are growing commodity crops like corn or soybeans or turf for lawns or raising horses. We have a third of our land in Montgomery County that's set aside an agricultural reserve. And that is land that was wisely preserved for agricultural activities, but we have of our 500 farms, I would say less than 100 of them are actively uh, producing table crops. Um, and so if we want to be more resilient in the future to be able to be self-reliant for our food sourcing, we need to increase local production. Finally, let's return to John Staley, chair of COG's Farm Policy Committee. It's the council's youngest committee created just four years ago. It works to raise awareness of and cooperation around issues related to the entire agricultural system from field to dinner table. It also advocates for improvements in the federal farm bill, such as to increase SNAP benefits and reduce bureaucratic red tape that makes them difficult to obtain and to support farmers markets and conservation. A big priority right now is food for school children. I, I think a big element that it's just important to footstall left and right is the ability of universal free meals. 
uh, for those in, in school. Um, it's critical. Um, you know, that the, the ability to address hunger through our school system, we learned a lot in COVID about what worked and free meals works. We know that students perform better when they are fed, right? When, when they are focused, they're able to have a better learning experience. COG wants to shorten the distance that food travels before reaching your plate. I think one of the biggest eye openers for me in the DC region is where does our food come from and what other markets does it serve? And that really has opened the, the conversation up for uh, micro farming, for more urban farming, for thinking about who does farming. It sounds like one of the, I mean, to put it in very simple terms, it sounds like one of the main goals here is to produce more food that we eat in the region, produce it here in the region. Spot on. And, and, and that, that idea of when you think about the larger impact of climate, you think about the larger impact of transportation, the cost of food, you know, the more you can be local, um, the healthier it is. You know, th there is a difference between a strawberry picked off the vine and one that's shipped across the U.S. You can taste it, right? And so there, there's a value to that entire process. One way to increase local food production is to protect land that's best suited for it. The value of land preservation. That's a key element for us um, uh, talking across the region. There are certain soils that you really shouldn't build houses on because they're really good for food. And if you, if you get rid of those, then you're losing the ability to manufacture food that you need in our own region. We have a housing shortage, but we can't take all of our farmland and turn it to housing because then we'll have that food problem, right? So it's the balance, it's the nuance, it's really understanding the holistic picture that, that we have the opportunity to do here in the Farm Committee. Now I'll share some of my own thoughts. During COVID, when millions of people lost their jobs and income, America took aggressive action to strengthen food security. The federal government increased benefits on an emergency basis. Schools provided many more meals. Local farmers and food banks received extra support. Such efforts prevented what could have been a national hunger disaster. They also demonstrated that it's possible to keep the population fully and healthily fed if we have the political will to do so. Now that the pandemic is behind us, however, we've slipped back to a status quo that ought to be unacceptable in the world's wealthiest nation. It's a scandal that the people suffering most from spending cutbacks include children and seniors. Washington area elected officials are right to push the federal government to restore or even expand the lost spending on nutrition programs. Meanwhile, local governments can improve conditions through a variety of steps, particularly to promote local production from our many existing farms, as well as private gardens. They can support farmers markets and food pantries that reach people who may live far from a grocery store. Feeding everyone is a mission that can unite all sectors of the community. Here's Staley once more urging cooperation. It's also an issue that isn't um, impacted by whether you live in a, in a downtown setting or out in an urban or a suburban area or even out in, in a rural area. You know, you eat every day and it's a unifying space uh, for us. And people understand the concerns of not having enough food or not knowing where your next meal comes from. This is a space we should be able to come together on. And this is a space we should share. We should literally break bread together. It is a good thing for us to do. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. We welcome your feedback. Please email comments to thinkregionally, one word, at mwcog.org. This podcast is produced by Lindsay Martin, Steve Kania, and Amanda Lau. 
This is your host, Robert McCartney, urging everyone, as always, to think regionally. <laughs>